Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh, Stomping Jen. Fun, you say? Here we are again. We're going to have fun. We are going to have fun. I'm super excited for this conversation. We are going to be talking to Thomas Winstanley from Theory Wellness, which is a cannabis... um, Medical and recreational uh, store operation. operation. They have a series of stores in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, one in Great Barrington, one in Chicopee, one in Bridgewater. I think. I'm oh trying to read goodness. my notes. Yep, um, Bridgewater, um, and in Maine too. Cool. Um, and we have a lot of questions about what they are doing. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. The Soft Serve Podcast Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck All right, Stomping Jen. All right. Here we are. Here we are again. I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Um, Me too. Let's say hello to our guest, Thomas Winstanley. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Satu. Stomping Jen, thanks for having me on today. Thank you for joining us. Let's... um. Let Thomas tell us just a little bit more about himself and the Theory Wellness um, organization. Sure. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, thanks for having me on today. And, you know, Theory, we are a, you know, vertically integrated cannabis brand started in Massachusetts, started on the medical front, um, and have since been lucky to find a, you know, a certain level of success here in the cannabis industry. And, you know, not a day goes by that things are the same, not a day goes by that we're not learning something. Um, I personally have been theory started in probably 2015 ish. Um, I came on about, um, two and a half years ago. So I've been, you know, with the company for probably like half of its growth and in the grand scheme of things, it's not all that long. Um, but I've been really fortunate. Um, as somebody who's been a very passionate and avid cannabis user for majority of my life, um, to be able to come into this forefront and not only learn a lot about this industry, um, but also to help kind of chart the course of the future of cannabis that I think I personally, as a user and a consumer, want to see both on a medical and recreational standpoint. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, for me, it's been a personally a really exciting journey for this company. It's been a really exciting journey. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen a little bit of everything, um, in a very short amount of time, um, on the forefront of this industry. And, 
unlike most others, you know, you can look at the history of spirits or, you know, wine or anything really. Um, this is definitely uncharted territory and, you know, every day is, it's incredibly exciting, sometimes stressful, sometimes mm -hmm. incredibly rewarding. Um, but ultimately for me, it's been a pretty wild journey to be a part of this, uh, part of this team. That's awesome. And, um, for our listeners, uh, I want to ask the question because I'm not sure I know what it means. What does vertically integrated mean? Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, so back when Massachusetts regulations rolled out, so I think it was in you know, 2000, I mean, like the short history of it is in 2008, I believe it was, where they decriminalized cannabis possession. And then 2012, it was the approval of medical. 2016 was the approval of rec. Um, back when medical was approved, part of the stipulation of becoming a, a dispensary, a medical dispensary in Massachusetts required a provision where you had to be vertically integrated, which basically meant you were developing your entire supply chain. So from the plant, from growing the plant to manufacturing it, to processing it, and then getting it ready for retail, it wasn't like there was a wholesale market that exists today with the rec market. Vertically integrated means that you're doing everything from growing the plant all the way to manufacturing, all the way to getting it ready for retail. And I think the term um, I've heard used to describe that is seed to sale. I seed think. to sale process. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really, it's actually, it's an impressive process. Um, Massachusetts being a, a real leader on the East coast when it comes to legalization and their approach to doing so. Um, we've had some wonderful case studies out West of the legalization movement. What we are seeing um, in Massachusetts is every single plant gets a unique ID and that unique ID and barcode, like a social security number, follows that plant all the way through its journey from literally from seed all the way to the final end product that is sold to a consumer or a patient. So you can look at every single individual plant and see what it ends up being, whether it's an extract or a vaporizer or an oil and an edible. Um, and so for us, we, we grew into this industry starting with medical first, which really allowed us to, to establish the brand that we are. Um, and the vertical integration part helps us control our own supply chains, um, which isn't, it doesn't necessarily, it's not a requirement now in terms of the rec market. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly we've always talked a lot about how medical made us, um, and medical will always be, you know, the heart of our business in a lot of ways. That's great. Um, another kind of personal question, um, did you ever envision that you would be able to have a, a career in the cannabis <laughs> industry? Like I, I imagine like so many yeah. people who are in this business, like might have to step back and like pinch themselves sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Sawtooth, like, I couldn't, I honestly, I think probably 18-year-old me is looking at 33-year-old me and, like, <laughs> wouldn't believe it if I tried to tell them um, that I was working for a cannabis brand. Um, and truthfully, I think it is something that, it, it's really hard to express to people who don't have the same passion that I do for cannabis to really express the work that we do. Um, and I think fundamentally that mentality and passion is shared with most employees within our company. Um, having, having come from a background of marketing and advertising, you know, you kind of jump around and you learn about different product categories. You learn about different business challenges. I mean, you look at different verticals and you learn how to, you know, the sociology of a buying consumer and try to give them what they're looking for in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. 
this industry is just so intuitively different from every rule that I've ever been taught in terms of um, market strategy and what it means to build a strong brand. Um, and I consider it a massive, you know, a privilege and a blessing to be working with a company um, and finding it when I did. Um, so I joined probably almost six months before Rec started. And so working directly in med was the the deep dive that I needed. Because I thought as a cannabis consumer, I was one of those people who thought I knew everything about the plant. I knew everything about cannabis. And actually, when I walked into the industry, I thought, whoa, 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 you don't know nearly as much. You have to go out and you got to learn. You got to relearn some of this stuff. Yeah. And so part of the journey for me as a professional is I've actually learned that the educational process will never cease. Um, and at the point that you think you know things, you probably know less than you actually do. And so for me, it's incredibly fulfilling because this is where I've been able to amalgamate a lot of um, professional experiences with a lot of personal experiences into something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I think that's, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that's what a lot of people seek. And I feel fundamentally very lucky to have um, joined this industry. That's not to say it's not without its like crazy challenges and mm -hmm. weird situations that emerge. Um, and so just to give some context too, so my role as, as the VP of marketing, so I get to kind of oversee all of the, the brand related work from communications with consumers and patients. Um, I spent a lot of time design and copy. I spent a lot of time looking at our retail stores and pretty much just thinking about the experience that we want our consumers and patients to have. And so that to me is like this, huge responsibility that probably keeps me up at night more than anything about it. Are we doing a good enough job to create mm -hmm. this experience um, that we are a young company? I mean it when we say we want to actually create the future of cannabis that we all want. Um, and so to be a, somebody who helps kind of oversee the brand and helps kind of steward us into these, these new growth areas and improvements. Um, at the same time, I also kind of part of that responsibility is overseeing customer service, which I think is probably one of the least um, attended to facets of, a, of an organization in the cannabis industry. This kind of melding of all of this stuff, it really is a true dream come true to be able to work in. Cool. That's awesome. And I want to talk a little bit about the plant itself now. Um, in my Googling and research stomping Jen and Thomas, <laughs> I, Googling. Yeah, I, 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 I discovered that um, anthropological evidence kind of tells us that, you know, people have been cultivating and using cannabis for over 10,000 years. That was pretty stunning to me um, in, mm -hmm. in the sense that it seems like it's been around since mm -hmm. the origins of human civilization itself. Mm -hmm. Like it has followed us mm -hmm. all along. And like there are very few things... I feel it have done that, right? Dogs, dogs, dogs are one of them, right? Yeah, I was, that's exactly where my brain went too. Dogs, yeah, that's cats, insane. Yeah. yeah, dogs and you know cannabis is another one. And so I, I, I want to ask a couple of questions um, about what makes this plant so special in a way, because clearly there's something special about it because it has followed us over the millennia. Um, and I think one of the things that um, people, I think, will 
um, pop into their minds when they think about cannabis is THC, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what that is, um, Thomas, when, it, when we're talking about cannabis and we see and read about THC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, THC and CBD are the two target molecules that have very much brought cannabis you know, 10,000 years later into vogue and the, into society as we know it today. Um, and I honestly saw to, I can't agree more with, um, the sentiment that this plant is very special to be with us today in the way that it is. Um, and in my opinion, finally getting the limelight that it is probably much deserved and overdue. Um, and part of the reason why we've now seen this, in my opinion, is the reason we've started to see this shift into kind of this mainstream uh, adaption um, that we start to see through political voting to, you know, adoption of medical practices comes back to these target molecules that have really helped shape it. So the THC is what brings on the psychoactive properties that also have medical properties. Um, This is the expression of the plant that when consumed and it it gets into your bloodstream, those molecules start to help you feel things like euphoria, stress relief, um, anxiety relief, you know, all these medical practices uh, or, or treatment approaches that uh, people come to know and love, but then also you have the complementary, you know, uh, entourage suite of things like it can help um, enhance activities, whether it's reading a book or exercise. And so it is this THC helps kind of bring this very, these adaptive properties that both have an impact both medically as well as um, socially. And so when you take the THC, you combine it with the CBD, which obviously is probably more widely known at this point than THC alone, the CBD as a molecule has um, some of the more medical properties too of anti-inflammatory. Um, it helps with anxiety reduction. I mean, it's it's the two of them and the two of them in, in unison in tandem with each other really create this, this potent medical treatment effects that have efficacy that um, even today, it's almost hard to speculate on the the ability of the plant um, that we know today. One, because we barely researched this plant. Um, I think we're just really starting to take a an empirical comb through the history of this wonderful plant. Um, and really, a lot of it comes down to these the two target molecules of THC and CBD, which um, in a lot of ways we've kind of separated. Um, but I think over the next couple of years, we're actually going to see them work closer together. Um, there's definitely a very binary approach to cannabis in the legal industry right now, which almost creates a separation between the two. Um, but ultimately, you know, the THC has more psychoactive properties. CBD has a lot of the medical properties without any of the the side effects that can come with THC. Yeah. And, and that in some ways, um, I, like there's two things you said, I just want to talk about a little bit is, mm-hmm. um, people will say, well, there's no research on cannabis. Right. And, and part of that is because there's been this, um, Ban. unreasonable prohibition right. on the plant for, um, many, many decades, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. we haven't been allowed to really thoroughly research, um, cannabis in an extensive way in this country. Um, and the other thing is because it's a plant, right? It's a plant medicine, mm-hmm. right? In in a lot of ways, in in certain um, 
certain pharmaceutical companies have tried to mm-hmm. um, recreate um, mm-hmm. uh, the THC in the form of a pill, or they say, well, we don't need the plant because we have right. the pill, right? right. I think we merit. We've synthesized this. We've synthesized, right. yeah, lots exactly. Lots of money yeah. on this, yeah. And right. I, I just want to, I think, what I want to seize upon what Thomas was saying, I think in, in some ways, we don't really understand entirely maybe the therapeutic interplay between all of yeah. the different elements of the the plan itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so for those, you know, pharmaceutical companies that tell us we don't need the plant, right? right? You know, yeah. they, they don't even know, right? right? They don't even know what they're saying. Well, because they want to make money. They right. can't make money if they just have a plan. I mean, they can make money, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, are there other... Yeah. Are there other compounds in cannabis um, that yeah. are important in terms of either in terms of either um, selling it or in terms of um, people using it um, recreationally or medically? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this. So this is kind of where you know. So I think what I shared about THC and CBD is the target molecules. I think that's kind of that's the surface of where I personally came into the industry, and I was yep. like, oh yeah, of course, this is a good plant. But I honestly didn't really understand the extent to which the benefits of this plant are almost unparalleled. So if you were to, the best way that I've kind of tried to frame this to folks who are um, passionately trying to understand this plant is if you think of THC and CBD as the foundation or the framework for a house, right? They are the, they are the framework, they are the drywall, they are everything that you need to build a three-story house. The parts that start to create even broader nuance for efficacy come in the form of terpenes. And so the terpenes is something that you're starting, I think a lot of legal markets are starting to put more weight around. And the terpenes can be the things that are, um, the terpenes are basically the, um, the aromatics and some of the makeup that help create the differentiation between the different types of plants. So, you know, one of my favorite things about, you know, uh, this is going to go off on a quick tangent here, but one of my favorite things about the cannabis plant is you you, you have something that's grown in South America that has really, really leggy, high standing plants with really narrow razor thin leaves. That's a cannabis plant. But then if you go to, you know, northern, you know, Afghanistan, you're going to find squat little versions of the same plants with really wide leaves, right? Yep. Basically describing an indica and a sativa, which are two different variations of the same plant. And the sativa is the taller, more spindly um, mm-hmm. uh, phenotype of the plant, right? Yeah. And so if you look at the same plant and you say, okay, well, this plant looks entirely different from this plant, even though this is the same plant, the THC and the CBD, those, you know, in theory are very much, you know, the same molecules. Those molecules aren't varying. But to get back to the house analogy, what makes the two plants different are the terpene profiles. And the terpenes, if you're looking at the house that is based out, created out of THC and CBD, the terpenes are the interior design and the interior decorating that creates the different vibes of the plants. 
So a uh, South American, you know, land race that's a Panama red or something is going to have a racier, more euphoric, probably is going to be a little bit earthier tasting, um, you know, probably going to give bring more of that euphoric energy that's going to be mentally stimulating versus an indica from northern Afghanistan, which is going to be much more sedating, much more physical, much more body heavy. And so the variation that you have, you're still getting THC and CBD, but the terpenes are what are helping actually create the expression. And so when you look at the medical implications of the variation of the plants, I mean, we're talking at a scale of, of you know, a very, very long road that we're just starting to go down where we're looking at what do certain types of genetics have, genetics of cannabis plants what are the efficacies of certain types of plants grown in one region compared to plants grown in another region? And then what happens when you say, okay, well, you know, I really like this expression of an indica from, you know, Nepal. And then you run that against something where you like the uplift of something from, you know, the, um, you know, from, from Florida, you know, from the, the black triangle down there. What happens when you combine these things? You know, are you creating mm -hmm. designer plants? Are you taking the best parts of different things to apply them? And then, you know, within within each of these profiles too, of these terpenes, you know, you have things like myrcene and linalool and um, you know, pinene. And these are these are different terpenes that exist in different types of these plants. And so the medical efficacy of each of these terpenes has a different effect. So a great example is I had a guy who reached out recently um, through customer service who had bought a strain called Frank's Gift, which is a CBD-leaning strain that was high in CBDA, which is activated CBD. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that this guy who's a diabetes patient had reached out and he said, this, this plant just changed my life. And what we found was, was that, you know, it was the CBDA and some of the terpenes of this specific plant that helped create um, engage circulation in his feet where hair started to grow again in a place where he had no circulation. And hmm. so I think what we're starting to see, and I think this is the common, this is what excites me probably the most about this industry is the more we can learn about this plant and study it and understand the nuance. We know, we're, we know it at a very surface level now, but I think over time, as we start to dig a lot deeper into this, I think we're going to see a lot of different parts of efficacy start to show through. And I think we get glimpses of this if you follow the news and you see, like, oh, cannabis is helpful with PTSD or cannabis can help with Crohn's or cannabis can help with, you know, name any medical condition. Yeah. And I think the more we start to learn about this plant and let the plant educate us, um, I think we're going to continue to see a broader adoption of, of cannabis as a whole. Um, and I think it goes a lot deeper than just, THC and CBD. And personally, that's where I actually get the most excited about of where we head. Yeah. And we're starting, I think, culturally to see some of that resistance to the cannabis plant begin to crack. I think it was just a few weeks ago, Congress, at least it was the House of Representatives, um, passed a bill called the Moore Act. Can you talk a little bit about that for us and what that means for us? Yeah. So, you know, the Moore Act is a, is a, um, I, and I believe it's the, it's the bill to repeal, uh, or, or to, to push for a federal legalization of cannabis. And, um, 
you know, I think it made it through the House. I don't think it's going to make it through the Senate. I think it's definitely going to get stonewalled pretty hard from um, certain political affiliations. But um, what that act actually does signify is, first off, I don't think it's going to be the bill that then legalizes cannabis um, straight out. Like, I don't think the time is right now. I don't think we're ready mm -hmm. for it. I think we're working towards it. If there's any takeaway, though, I think it is a symbolic representation coming out of an election, you know, not only a month ago, um, where we really saw a very, very large shift in public sentiment around public support around cannabis. And I think the MORE Act may not be the final bill that makes it to, you know, the floor of Congress or makes it to the executive branch for a final sign off. I certainly think it becomes a symbolic gesture and a representation of the state of the union um, of, in of the entire body of the United States residents um, that are finally saying, you know, I think it's 64% support of legalization. And, you know, unfortunately, I think part of the narrative is our, our people are starting to see the amount of money that is in cannabis right now. And I think people are also feeling the urgency to to get in on it. Um, when you see guys like John Boehner, who's on the board of Acreage Holdings, who is the former Republican Speaker of the House, sentiments are definitely changing. Mm -hmm. The guy also said that he's never used cannabis before. So, you know, take yeah. that for what it will. That being said, I do think the Moore's Act becomes a symbolic piece of legislation that has made it farther than any have before. And I don't think it's the last either. Yeah. I mean, at, at a, at its basest level, it at least is a signal um, for like a call yeah, or for a call to the end of this prohibition. Right. Um, I'm curious, um, Thomas, and not not to get too deep into history. Um, this isn't a test, I promise. I'm just wondering if you can. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you can educate me or any of our listeners yeah. on how we ended up in this situation where right. um, cannabis was. Um, ranked among, you know, the deadliest drugs known to men and people are serving life sentences. Reefer madness. Reefer madness. Like, how did, <laughs> yeah. how did we end up in this incomprehensible, <laughs> unfair prohibition against this plant? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think there are probably better resources than me if you really yeah. want to deep dive. Um, a lot of the way that I've I've come to understand it and accept it is, you know, at the time of prohibition, when alcohol started to come back into vogue and they were making the decision back in the 20s to move forward with bringing alcohol, you know, repealing the prohibition around alcohol, there was also a movement on what else are we going to restrict? And so cannabis became the next kind of low bar for entry where they said, well, let's call it marijuana. Let's give it a, you know, a Mexican sounding name. Let's turn our focus. Let's turn our resources. So, you know, it's, this is a continuation of the war on drugs that started with the prohibition of alcohol that has now since continued to today. You know, I, there was this massive sentiment where folks said, okay, well, if you guys going to have your alcohol then we're going to restrict, you know, the cannabis plant. And the irony of all of this stuff is this is a plant that in the foundation of our nation we were growing because it provided clothing, mm -hmm. um, it provided shelter, I mean, it provided a whole host of things and people were also consuming it back then as well. Yeah. And so an unfortunate, it is an unfortunate, um, it is a form, in my opinion, it's an unfortunate blemish on the history of kind of 
the emergence of the modern society that we live in today that we made a bad decision around a plant and are just coming to rectify 200 years later the the instance in which we have prohibited it yeah and the outcost of doing so i think is you know something that to come back to theory a little bit is something that we are very conscious of we're yeah. very conscious of the impact that this has had socially. I wanted to ask you, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, particularly as a as a marketing professional in this business, like that is that must be baggage that you think you think about in terms of having to overcome like this 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 Stigma. this these years of negative cultural perceptions around the plant and like is is that something you you grapple with and have to think about you know reframing the story um about mm-hmm. cannabis for you know um current customers who might feel guilt associated with using the plant and, and even potential customers who those those conceptions about the plant that they have are barriers of entry into the, into the marketplace. Yeah. So this is a very difficult question to answer because I Mm -hmm. think it is one that I'm still trying to answer every day. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes, I think there are a lot of layers in this dialogue, um, that create complexities. Is there a challenge of, you know, at a fundamental level, we are still selling, I have made a professional career of selling something that is a class one felony, uh, you know, as a class one substance. So you start there and, you know, as you start to go down that, that funnel, you, you learn, you know, a lot of these things about, okay, well, you know, if somebody's going to come buy cannabis legally for the first time, how do we get it right? What do we need to do to get it right? Mm -hmm. What are the ingredients for successful first time visit to a cannabis dispensary, whether you are a medical patient or a recreational customer. But then even deeper, there are bigger questions that we are seeking to answer as a company of, okay, well, we are now making a profit off of something that there are, you know, thousands of people incarcerated over. Yeah. We are now in a place of privilege to sell this plant. Many before us have sold this plant no different from what we're doing. I mean, it's different, obviously, for a variety of reasons, but fundamentally, there are a lot of people who are incarcerated around this. There are a lot of um, very deep-seated racial inequities that are created around this plant. And so part of our responsibility in this movement is to figure out, okay, we know all these things. So how do we try to consciously move through this, this very, very, you know, it's, it's challenging to the extent that there are, there is so much baggage around buying an eighth of weed. Um, everything from what you call it, what you label it, who you buy it from, where it's cultivated, what are the practices to what are the, what are the, what are the social implications of what we're doing? And so I think as a marketer um, and as a consumer and as somebody who loves this plant as much as I do, um, we think a lot about those questions and we think a lot about what the answers could potentially be to them. And I don't think we have them yet. I think we're, I think we're actively seeking them, but ultimately we know that this is a, this is a plant that is fraught with a ton of unwarranted baggage. So how do we start to move forward? Like, so how do we start to progress 
how do we start to kind of, you know, how do we acknowledge the past while moving forward to create the future we want to see? Yeah. And I think that's something that we always are looking at, um, whether it is a retail experience, when you walk into a store, how do you want to feel? Is it more like a museum where you're getting educated on something you didn't know about and things are on display and it's bright and it's clean? Is it more like an apothecary where you go in or a pharmacy where you go in and you pick up your prescription to help you with your migraines? Or is it like a wine shop where you're going to a dinner party and you want to bring a really great strain that's not going to freak everybody out, you know, before appetizers are served. Right. And so I think, you know, this is this, this is the landscape that I find, you know, probably my favorite part of this pursuit is we have to navigate this very sensibly and very logically, um, trying to be considerate of so many different moving parts. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge at times of this industry is, you know, political issues are one thing. I think, you know, people's stigmas about it being the devil's lettuce and jazz cabbage and all that stuff is another. But I think we also know that we're really fortunate to be where we are doing what we do. So how do we start to create a, a conscious model as a cannabis brand to help try to bring people along with us and not end up as you know, big corporate cannabis, which I think is uh, the concern for a lot of people these days. Yeah. So that's a long-winded answer, but I think it uh, hopefully, you know, it, it conveys a little bit of um, some of the thought process of what we deal with every day and who we want to be. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it's, it's a great answer. Thank you. And the thing... <clears throat> do, you, do you like um, brainstorm with other uh, companies or, you know, like, because I know it's been legal in states out west for quite some time. Do you um, do you coordinate with those folks? Do you keep more to, you know, just in state? Um, mm -hmm. Is the Cannabis Commission that's uh, in charge of, um, you know, taking care mm -hmm. of all that for the state? Do they help with those things? Like, do they bring you guys together to brainstorm this, these types of issues and challenges for the industry? Somewhat. So I think, yeah. you know, I think the difference or it's not even a difference. The, the Western, you know, the Western states are, are a much more mature market than we are. Mm -hmm. They certainly, the way that we've come into a legal market is very different from how they entered into a legal market. The guardrails are very different, but I think the overall premise of what we're doing as an industry as a whole, um, there actually is surprisingly a lot of collaboration mm -hmm. or at least just like, it's non-competitive just engagement that we all have mm -hmm. where, you know, I reached out, I reached out to the CEO of like a company that I thought was just amazing, like a cannabis brand that I was like, I love this brand. I saw the guy popped up on my LinkedIn feed and I said, holy smokes, like that's the dude from, from this brand. I wanted to reach out and just tell him I love what he's doing. And I reached out, he wrote right back to me and he was like, dude, I also feel the same way about what you guys are doing. Like, stay in touch. And so I think that to me is kind of this, like, that's what we want more of is this kind of interconnectedness. But I also think there's a part of the way that I, I, I'm, I think a lot about, and we think insularly about our brand is that I think because the industry is so new, there's, there are parallels that you can draw from people who are doing the same things. But at the same time, we also want to take a very more specific approach to meet our needs. Cause like every day getting through every day can be a challenge. And so when it comes to developing or adopting new programs around sponsorships or um, local involvement, that kind of stuff, we kind of still, we're still trying to figure it out. And I think when you look at, you know, to look at the broader picture of um, equity, you know, just global equity in the industry, I don't think that's 
an answer. I don't think that's a question that's been answered really well. And I don't think that any industry or any company really in cannabis has dialed that in to the truest extent that it should be. And so it's, it is a little bit of both where we do like to draw from people who are doing what we're doing, but also we like to think about what makes the most sense for us at mm-hmm. this point, given the circumstances. What I think, what I think is really interesting about this industry and stopping Jen here is the one of us with an MBA. So I'm going way out on a limb here <laughs> um, is I, I think because of the, 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 the federal status of the plant right now, it hasn't allowed huge corporations to come in across the country and dominate the industry like we see in other um, industries like alcohol. Like It's allowed these, these more regional, local businesses on a state-by-state basis to get a foothold and kind of grow, kind of. There's been so many strange approaches to it, though. Well, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, when, when um, I'm trying to think, when you know, when Budweiser decides to get into the the cannabis industry, like, I think my my feeling is people are going to look at that and be like, no, go away. Like, I have the, <laughs> I have Theory Wellness here right. down the street from me that I know those people. I can go there, like, you know, and and, and like, I just I. Do you know what I'm trying to you're, say? You're, you're talking about the difference between like a boutique and like corporate, like a corporate and local, yeah. you know. But I think at some point in the future, when this does become full blown mm-hmm. legal across the country and the consolidation, like you see in any industry, could yep. occur, you know, years mm-hmm. from now. But... I'm saying I hope not, right? I, like, yeah, I, 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 what will. I'm saying is the Titan. <laughs> what I'm saying is yeah, unlike in will. the. Unlike in the alcohol industry, right? Like the the titans got their foothold, and the the craft industry has risen up against it, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, yeah. But they also there was a time when Budweiser was just a small little microbrewery, and there were lots of microbreweries. And what happens is the small fish start to eat the bigger fish, and then yeah. they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? I just I don't know. I have a I have a good feeling that this is going to turn out differently. <laughs> I don't know. I just do. And who has the <laughs> MBA? You do. Okay. I know. No, I mean, yeah. I just, what, I, what I find interesting is... Um, I have an MBA in optimism, by the way. Oh, thank you. I want one of those. Yeah. yeah. Talk to. Send yeah. me an application. I want to sign up for that. School. I will just give you an honorary optimism degree. Yeah. Yes. Well, Go ahead. So, uh, uh, I don't know how much I can say here. Um, just, okay. So like I'm on a local select board here uh, in Belchertown. So, you know, we have marijuana companies that want to move into our town and they all have these different approaches. And this is the part that like, it's just so strange to me. Like people come in, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cannabis commission, you have to have certain, you have to meet certain requirements or whatever. So that's like in their hands. So at the local level, it's like we have to deal with all these different people, some of which want to do cultivation, some of want to do retail, but they all like have their own approaches to how they're going to do these things. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's been very interesting from, yeah. from that perspective. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm sure on the other side of the table, it's <laughs> completely different experience having to deal with municipalities and like trying to get a foothold into a community. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's not easy. I mean, I think that's big. I think you're underscoring a a really important point about the industry, though, is that it's not easy. And, you know, and Sawtooth, I hate to say it, I think 
unfortunately, there is a precedent for a very stark possibility of corporate cannabis that is already here. Mm. And what and that and I think that kind of is what alarm that is probably one of my biggest kind of concerns, you know, that I of the many things that I have anxiety about is the future of a free market economy that cannabis exists in. So when you look at programs around opening a cannabis dispensary, you're talking at about a two-year lead time to get a license. Yeah. To get a license, you have to own property in the place where you want to get your license. Yeah. You have to get your municipality to sign off on your cultivation, retail, whatever. File the paperwork with the Cannabis Control Commission, build out your space. I mean, we're talking, this is a two-year project where you are literally spending millions of dollars yeah. to get to a point where you hit the starting line. So then, so knowing that this is kind of the lead, the lead into the market, you can't get funding from banks, right? Right. So all of your traditional practices of fundraising have to go through this very different approach where valuations are really wonky because really who knows with the way that the market changes every day. So, you know, I think part of what we've seen in more mature established markets are it becomes a game of licenses where after you've done a lot of that work, you know, somebody with a huge bank account or a privately traded company or what have you, um, venture capital, private equity, et cetera. You know, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, we'll give you four million dollars to go launch this brand. You keep 51 percent. We'll take 49 mm percent. -hmm. But we're going to recoup, you know, 80% of your profit margin right. until you reach your, you know, the, the inflection point. When you start to think about that, that's a very dangerous proposition. And I think a lot of, I think we're, where the challenge within the market is starting to become is that there are companies who are doing that today in Massachusetts, they're doing it in Maine, they're doing it in just about every legal market. Yeah. Um, and this is something that is genuinely very concerning to yeah. companies like our own. We're independently owned and operated. Like we have no huge conglomerate parent company that's like blue chip traded stocks. Like we're not a MedMen, we're not a CuraLeaf, we're not this big corporate entity. But those corporate entities are certainly playing in our sandbox with us. Yeah. And we are very wary of them when they have multiple states that they operate in. and. Um, we're kind of bootstrapping everything, you know, along the way. And I think, you know, uh, it's, it's to stomping Jen's point, like it's almost an inevitability that there are going to be the Budweiser's and that there are going to be the, you know, these big companies that just kind of come into the space and say, Hey, you guys did all the work, but we'll buy your license from you. And then, you know, we'll have licenses in multiple states versus in just one. And, you know, the irony we feel is that we actually, when we moved into Maine, you know, back in October, everybody accuses us of being a corporate cannabis company, um, which to me, I like kind of, it's, it's strange to hear that because I'm like, wait a minute. No, we, we, we're, we want to be the exact opposite of this, but yeah, um, I think there is a, there is this natural evolution that, um, Jen was was pretty adeptly pointing out that I think there is I think we're we are unfortunately trending in that direction, um, and I think that's part of the importance that we feel um, where we've been trying to promote a free market economy um, and protect a free market economy because with comp without competition, 
void of things become very homogenized mm-hmm. incredibly quickly. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, I think that's what causes the escalation of into things like uh, microbreweries and the resurgence of craft beer, which is a reaction to big domestic beer taking over the scene. So I think it's certainly something we think about a lot. And Jen was, you know, hit it right on the head. And I, and I, and I think the risk of corporatization, right, is um, a lack of variety and quality mm-hmm. in, in my mind anyways. Right. And, and for me, homogenization isn't a good thing. Right. Yeah. Like I like, I well, like being, being able to go and try different things and experience um, the subtle varieties right. in products. Well, I think that is the thing that will keep these, the smaller, um, the smaller organizations in business because, you know, you need that knowledge, that in-depth knowledge about the plant, about what they're selling, what it will do. Yeah. Like you were mentioning earlier about all the different strains and the different like efficacies for different uses and like having a person who understands that in depth, you know, like how do you replicate that experience? And I think that is the key difference between a Walmart of, you know, pot shops versus like, you know, the small <laughs> mom and pop industry, right. you know, like yeah. that, that's the difference. Yeah. It's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about product um, yeah. and the, the types of products that a, um, an organization like theory wellness sells. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they think about cannabis might just think about flour, like, you know, that you, that you grind up or, you know, put in a, in a rolling paper or a pipe, but there's a lot more to it than that. Isn't there? There are a wide variety of products that theory wellness sells. Yeah. Yeah, there are. And I think we have, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of 75 different in-house products pretty much across every tier, um, of category that you would find in a common market. And a lot of our approach comes down to in this, in this new new age of pairing customers and patients with products that meet them where they are in their journey with cannabis. So if you are a, you know, a 40 year veteran smoker, like my dad, who will never hit a vape ever and will only <laughs> smoke joints, you know, He's he's definitely going to stay towards the flower, but then you have my mom who just like doesn't really care one way or another, but just wants something to help her sleep and doesn't like to smoke, so she eats a little half of a, you know, a THC edible before bedtime, you know, and so this kind of growth, I think we're we're kind of going through this renaissance of product categories where we're starting to get much more nuanced in the types of delivery methods, understanding what are the best combinations of product recipes or manufacturing methods to help provide a better experience for our consumers or patients. Um, And so from flour, which is probably the most common, even today, sales-wise, everybody wants flour. The vaporizers, which have a little bit of a sordid history um, with a vape ban last year, Mm -hmm. those have gone through, you know, a lower barrier for entry as a different way of consumption. But then you have your concentrates, which are for the more experienced consumers. You have edibles that have varying degrees and tiers of titration of effects. Um, and then, you know, the topicals and, you know, all these different things. And um, we're actually working on a, an infused beverage that's going to come out in February. That's, you know, a whole new classification of a, of a type of edible. Um, mm-hmm. 
five minute onset. It's a rapid five milligram hard seltzer that has mm. cannabis infused seltzer. You feel the effects in five minutes and it dissipates in about 40 minutes um, at oh. five milligrams. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, every day, I mean, I was on a call today with our chief production officer. And as I was saying earlier, like, every day I'm trying to learn more about these categories. And um, I think the pipeline for products is probably growing faster than the industry as a whole, um, which is really exciting because it gives more options for, mm -hmm. for folks who are looking to get into using cannabis or continuing right. to use cannabis. It's, yeah. not, it's not like your um, old school back in the day, somebody baked up mm -hmm. magic brownies and you didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> if you ate <laughs> Well, you don't, you don't, oh, gosh. not somebody whose name rhymes with schmatooth, is it? <laughs> Um, you know, I think, I, you know, one thing I think it's important for people to talk about, like somebody who maybe is thinking about trying a different delivery method, right? Like I, maybe I want to try a gummy and that person has only, you know, um, smoked, it. smoked flour before, like, it's important that they come in and talk to the, the the people at Theory Wellness, right, about right. The, the, the what to expect when they maybe try a different delivery method, because different delivery methods um, have a have a different way of being metabolized by the body and different mm -hmm. effects, different durations of effects, and, and right. are the 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 people who um, and understanding that maybe the the sales process looks a little different right now because of the pandemic, but um, yeah. the sales reps. At, at an organization like Theory Wellness can talk to customers mm -hmm. about what to expect, right? And can mm -hmm. offer a little coaching in that regard? Yeah, very much so. So part of the responsibility that we feel in this market is we want to make sure we get this right. The last thing we want is for someone to come into our dispensary and buy something and have a horrible experience and then, you know, they lose the opportunity to have that bond with cannabis. I think that's that to me would be a that would that would be a great example of us not doing our jobs well if that's an experience that happens. So what we always encourage customers, whether you're a first-time customer or you've been using cannabis for years, depending on whatever your relationship is, if you're not familiar with the legal market, reach out to us. Um, ask us. Um, come in with an intent. And I think that's something where we certainly think about cannabis as a complement or a treatment for something that is that is already occurring. Um, so regardless of what your intent is, there's going to be something that we can recommend or help you um, to enhance. So if you have, um, you know, if you have arthritis in your hands, you know, good CBD topical is going to be a great fit. I'm not going to recommend you smoke a joint of dank Sinatra or something like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, but if you are someone who's like, hey, I'm, you know, I want to try, you know, a vaporizer with my wife and we haven't used cannabis since college, where should we start? Finding a very low dose hybrid that is, you know, take one puff, see how it feels, add more on. You know, you can always do more. You can't walk back and do less. Come up with a game plan. And honestly, I think that's kind of part of the concierge approach that <clears throat> we want to see more of in the industry. Yeah. Because the more educated a consumer is, the more they actually elevate the industry. Because 
consumer who has an understanding of these products starts to develop a really good taste and a preference for the products. And that also, that reflects back on us on how do we continue to try to find products to, to help encourage the effects or the experience that you want to have. Um, and something that I've been really passionate about in this, especially in the time of COVID, is it's really hard to have that face-to-face. -face. Um, one of the challenges I think that we've seen is that we used to have, you know, we, we would track, we had 200,000 customers come through our Great Barrington store um, the year we opened for REC. Now, when you think about the number of conversations we had with consumers who are first-time buyers, those, 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 there's no shortage of education there. COVID, unfortunately, has put a damper on that with the rise of pre-order and, you know, the one-to-one -one interaction. And so um, I've actually worked very closely with, you know, the retail teams as well as my customer service teams to um, create a system where, you know, if consumers have questions, they can literally text us at the store phone numbers. And then um, I have a team of customer service managers that I work with, um, all of which have been it very heavily trained. Almost all of them have actually come from retail first, um, who then will help you kind of make the selections, pick products. And, you know, it's overwhelming. I mean, I remember going to a cannabis dispensary in Colorado my first time, and I couldn't believe, I had no idea where to start. It was like walking into Wonka's factory. <laughs> so I think we want to, we want to help build, we want you to come out with an awesome We want you to come out with like, you eat a product, you're like, holy smokes. Like, I didn't know a movie could be that good. Um, yeah. You know, and so I think that's what we're chasing or, you know, the guy, I spent a lot of time in the lines when we had lines talking to consumers just because there's no better way to get a sense of your audience. Um, and talking to vets who are, you know, from upstate New York who had never done can used cannabis before, who find sleep for the first time in 10 years since doing two tours in Iraq. I mean, those are the kind of ex uses of cannabis that I think, you know, that's what we're, we're seeking. And it was because he stopped in, got a recommendation, um, tried smoking some indica that was really meeting him where he was. And honestly, anytime Granddaddy Purple comes through our shelves, we shoot him a message and say, Terrence is back. You know, mm -hmm. come on through. So, you know, I think there is a, I think there's, there's so many different products. It's always really smart for a consumer to be considerate of getting a good recommendation and, and know what you're in for and be conscious about how you approach it. You don't yeah. go to a bar on your 21st birthday and order like five shots of Jack Daniels. Like you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. You know, don't, don't just come to a dispensary and order the highest testing strain. Cause yeah. <laughs> you might, you might have, you might have, you might regret that down the road. Oh, wow. What? I'm just having flashbacks of our, when we were first dating oh. and we went to Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> that, this was, this was in 1998. I don't know what year oh it was. Yeah. Back in, back in the, the wild west. Yeah. All I know um, is we got something called white widow and it was like, had white crystals. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's up still. You can find that. Yeah, that stuff. That's like that's still that's around. Real. I mean, that's like that's a classic. Yeah, that's strain. a bedrock strain. Yeah, no, but I just remember yeah. like going into the coffee shops. We didn't know what we were doing. We're like, yeah, what the heck is happening? Wait, so you actually? That's a that's a that's a new that's like a Netherlands strain. Like that's oh, yeah. actually one of the yep. the real deal old school mid nineties yep. cannabis cup winner. Yep. Dang, yeah. you guys yep. are smoking the most potent. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and what, what's interesting about that, right, yeah. is um, I think the prohibition in this country has yeah. bred so much shame around uh, cannabis mm. consumption. When we got there, 
Stomping Jen had a really hard I had time a massive just letting anxiety go. Attack about where, getting anything in a in a coffee shop. Yeah, whereas it was terrible. I was just like, whoa. Like, like you would get in trouble. Yeah. Jen, was that oh, like yeah. Being, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you know, and, and I think yeah. it's really hard to let go of that, and because I think society. Um, wants to put so much guilt on people yeah. right for 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 using this plant i mean thankfully again some of that ice is breaking but i still think um like for the recreational market for example yeah it's hard um, to just like feel like you can just go people still may feel guilty and anytime yeah. i've been in a line in a dispensary you can still see those people who may be there for the first time and are looking around a little sheepishly they you could tell they feel a little nervous like should i be here should i feel oh, yeah. bad about being here and I, I i think you know there's a lot of yeah. work to do as a society to say you know what um it's okay to want to use this plant for recreational purposes. People use alcohol, they use other mm-hmm. things, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is okay. And I, I think that that's going to, and there are responsible ways to use it, right? It's a different substance yeah. than alcohol. And in my mind, it's right. a lot safer and it does a lot less damage to people than alcohol in my mind. Mm-hmm. But um, people still yeah. need to be educated, I mean, there's, it's baggage. I mean, and honestly, stomping Jen, I, I, for the first six months of working with theory. Yeah. Couldn't believe, I I mean, it was, it was like surreal because I also felt like, am I like, is this, (laughs) yeah. Should I be doing this? Right. Like, is this real? Is this a, like, am I, am I on like the biggest like version of like punked TV that this is like some facade that is you know, masking something I, you know, there's, there's almost, I still almost today have a little bit of that anxiety that I carry, even though it's a fully legalized market. I don't feel it as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for people who are part of, you know, when you look at this, this concept of cannabis being such a counterculture product, right? right? So, you know, the people who enjoyed cannabis were considered counterculture, even though it was a culture in and of itself. And so, I think that this massive kind of shift of mindset and mentality is, I think it's going away. And I, I don't think I've felt this probably. I think I've every, I think now I'm starting seeing Maine come online in New Jersey and Vermont. Now I'm starting to think, well, oh, wait, okay. Have we really turned this corner? Yeah. Um, and part of, part of the irony is, you know, I, I said, you know, stand in line and, talk to consumers when we had long waits and I would honestly go out there with a, with a, you know, with our menu and I'd go up to people and I'd try to break the ice a little bit because mm-hmm. people were so like uptight at times about coming to buy cannabis. And you had the people who were just like, yeah, like we're yeah. here. Like this is amazing. And then you had the people who were like, don't put me on camera. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to look at anybody. I just like want to do this thing and try to get out. And, but you know, when you go up to them with a binder, you know, of, a well-designed menu and you say, Hey, is there anything I can help you with here? Can I make any recommendations? You start to see that tension subside. Yeah. You start talking with one person and you see six other people who would make eye contact slowly start to pay attention. And, you know, I mean, that's a beautiful thing to start yeah. to witness. Um, but, you know, 
don't get me wrong. There's still times when, you know, I use cannabis and I'm like, whoa, are we really doing this? Yeah. Yeah. It's really still happening. Yeah. Um, and I hope, you know, and I think there's a, uh, I think it's, I really do hope that people start to come around and I certainly hope that some of those feelings start to, to subside. And I think some of the inherent conflict that we have in the cannabis industry today is that you're taking counterculture and you're bringing it into a structured, you know, corporate, not, I would seem to say corporate, but you're taking it and you're moving it into a very, very regulated fine-tuned box where a lot of the people who were building that foundation originally to build that culture don't always have a shot at the you know the monetization of the cannabis industry and i think that creates a lot of this inherent tension that we all feel today Mm. um but i hope those are the things that we can also work through in the betterment of the industry yeah yeah And, and from my perspective right a lot of the the fears that we were told would come to fruition with with the with the medical legalization <laughs> and then recreational legalization yeah. didn't materialize yeah. right um, so you know I think I think people are starting to see um, hopefully to your point um, Thomas that there there's been a narrative that right. has been spun over right. the years that um, is not bearing out um, and one thing I just want to mention. Um, that, that I've been very impressed with from the industry is the emphasis on safety, right? We talked a little mm-hmm. bit before about kind of the concierge approach for around right. for adults in um, using the products, but I think also in making them safe for children, you know, um, stomping Jen and I are our parents. And, um, you know, the few times I've gotten my hands on packaging, she, she can attest that <laughs> said, I can't open this. Like I need, I need assistance here. Yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah. and what I think is particularly ingenious is um, what I, I've seen is they change up the way the security features on the packaging work. <laughs> like it's almost seemingly randomly. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but um, it, it, seems, it seems like there's always a better mousetrap that flummoxes me. Um, oh, you mean when you get something and you're like, I don't know how to open it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think my larger point is I've been really impressed with the industry's emphasis on child safety, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think, yeah, what I, and I just, oh, I guess I got to give this, Yeah. you know, and, <laughs> you know, we've, we've certainly had the conversation, um, as the the market has grown over the years with our own kids about look this is this your minds are growing yeah. right mm-hmm. these are drugs like any other kind of drug and you should wait until your brain stops growing then this is just our opinion right. but you should wait yeah. until your brain stops growing to use them these are not for you right <laughs> um these are um these are this is a the substance that has a legitimate medical use. People also use it recreationally, like alcohol. Like, so people should talk to their kids. Like, and I think that's an important part of changing minds and shifting the culture. Yeah, is being able to talk to children about um, about but cannabis. Isn't it so? It, sorry, and I don't mean to take this in a totally different direction. It's okay but, if you do. But it's like, it's so interesting. So we stopped drinking earlier this year, but like, you don't even think about the alcohol industry. Like people drink around their kids all the time, all the time, all yeah. the time. And like, I think about like, you know, partaking in cannabis use around my kids. I'm just like, I really am not comfortable with this, but like, 
it's comfortable mm-hmm. to like be drinking around your, I don't know. It's very, very strange uh, dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and honestly, like, I think those are, those are some of the things that, you know, I think we're watching this and trying to understand this ourselves Yeah, and trying to understand what role in the social fabric does cannabis play. Um, and to your point about packaging, truthfully, what I think what you're seeing is packaging, like every, every, every single part of cannabis is just like moving million miles an hour from packaging yeah. where, you know, I'm always talking with my, you know, the co-founders of the company about new packaging options that are less environmentally hostile, um, more like child proof. That's not cost prohibitive and that's also not going to just fill the environment with plastic jars so Mm -hmm. that's one thing but i think that's something that massachusetts has done a fantastic job around is to create a safety kind of bubble around these products to ensure that underage users don't have access etc etc but you know i also think you guys are bringing a really interesting point around um this massive education aspect and how do you treat the education? And truthfully, I think, you know, as a teenager who used cannabis probably more than they should have, I always was, I was always of the mindset that, well, no, you know, nobody, it's just illegal. And so like, I'm already crossing this line. Like, there's no way, you know, you can't stop me now. But truthfully, I mean, I think there's, there is a lot of part of the emerging research we are seeing is that the brain development process of an adolescent doesn't really close until the age of 24. And to start meddling in that process earlier is not really going to have great impacts. Could my parents have regurgitated that to me back when I was 16 and, you know, a really naughty kid, probably not. (laughs) Um, But would the research have, you know, supporting that statement have had more of an impact on me? 33 year old me would like to say yes, but you know, reality could be very different. Um, but I do think that there is a very interesting paradox between the spirits and alcohol industry with the cannabis industry. And I still think we are going to be, we will be with that for a long time until we start to, this new generation starts to understand what happens with how the cannabis industry really starts to impact it. And, you know, I was actually recently doing some research around, um, so this new product that we're, we're, you know, we're working to bring to market. And uh, I think one of the probably one of the more interesting facts around kind of the emergence of the cannabis industry and legal markets are um, there is a trade off with the, the cannabis or with the spirits industry. Um, after a 10 year so this is a this is just like a random piece of info that I have saved on my desktop that a 10 year study of researchers at UConn. Um, in 2017, found that in counties where marijuana was legal, cannabis was legalized, wine and beer purchases decreased by 15%. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're in this very interesting changing landscape where we're going to start to see a, a little bit of a push and pull between these two industries. And yeah. um, furthermore, I think getting back to the product discussion, products are going to bring you know, it's going to be one thing if you sit down and smoke a joint in front of your toddler or your kid, like that's probably not going to land well, right. no matter how you skin <laughs> it. Um, but if you are drinking, you know, an infused seltzer that, you know, is going to give you mild effects, no more than a glass of red wine would do, you know, does anybody care? Yeah. Right. And is anybody going to know? Right. And I think that's kind of going to be this new forefront of the industry where, I think it's going to change with in front of our eyes, but we're not going to be watching it. 
Um, and I think we're already seeing that with the rise of vaporizers and, you know, back Satina in college when there was very, it was really hard to use cannabis and not smell like cannabis and telegraph it from red eyes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. having it cling to your clothes after, you know, a cold winter's night when you come inside. Um, I actually think the cannabis plant is now, I think we're moving into a very new phase of this. And I think it's, um, you know, I don't have kids personally, but I think it's really, and it's an interesting question to, to pose to parents of how do you engage with this? We, um, yeah. at Theory, we work with the Railroad Street Youth Project, which is a, an adolescent group in Great Barrington that provides structured activities for kids in need after high school or, um, you know, during the year in high school. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a very interesting conversation with their executive director about this topic alone. And what she was actually saying was that the biggest, one of the challenges that she faces or that that she discusses a lot is with parents. And, you know, the kids kind of get it to some extent and the parents sometimes don't get it. Um, And there is a very interesting push and pull in the dynamic of reversing kind of that mentality where one generation has seen this as this illegal thing that will always be illegal with all this baggage. But this new generation is like, wait a minute, this is legal. What do you mean this is what do you mean it has this history of all these negative and adverse things? And so um, those are those are some of the most interesting kind of paradoxes within this industry that, um, again, we feel a lot of responsibility around. We want to make sure that our products don't end up in the hands of people that they shouldn't. I mean, even if a customer says that they're buying on behalf of someone, like there's a really good chance that we're not going to let that transaction go through because we don't want to set a precedent the same way that you can't just give 10 bucks to the guy in the corner to go buy you a case of beer. Right. I never did that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the same rules apply, you know, within the industry. And I think that's where we're pretty, we will, we will not flex on that because I think we, as a legal entity, we don't want to give any opportunity for someone to say, well, you guys didn't do your part because I think we're working very hard to do our part. Yeah. And, and I, and personally, the thing I want to see, right, is an, an, an honest, objective national education campaign around this plant. Yeah. Right. And I don't know who, I don't know who are the right people to do it. I'm not saying any of that. Um, but what I don't want are the, the, the capitalist competitors to cannabis <laughs> to, to continue to be able to drive the narrative right because it's been so damaging and i and i just i I think i think we can get there um so that's that's you're gonna lead it yeah i'm I'm, you know i'm running i'm running ideas around in my mind about you know cannabis education i mean i think we still need it absolutely 100 um we definitely need it yeah we absolutely need it more than anything Uh, i mean i think this is like you know and again i think education goes through not just with kids. I think it also gets down to, you know, mm-hmm. social equity and making it inclusive. Yeah. Um, that's something people need to be educated on. You know, this cannot be an industry that goes to the highest bidder, period. Um, yeah. And I think that's a part of education that I think people are still didn't realize that that could be a problem. Um, but, you know, again, added complexities of the industry that, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't train. For, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about when I was kind of combing through um, the Theory Wellness website um, was about your outdoor growing operation. Um, <laughs> that this seems to be a unique a unique thing um, in right yeah. now, at least in, in this region. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Oh yeah. So I mean, talk about one of the that was probably 
planting that first outdoor field was, you know, this probably my second greatest memory to walking into the indoor mm -hmm. cultivation and seeing rooms of like cannabis plants. Um, and a lot of, again, I think part of the chasing of the evol evolution of this industry and being a more conscious player in this industry is figuring out how do we start to create more sustainable habits around an industry that is, you know, has, you know, little guardrails in terms of manufacturing in the sense that we're big and, you know, we use a lot of water, we use a lot of electricity. Um, and so I think as we started to look at uh, various models of how do you start to kind of grow beyond just your indoor walls and certainly out west you see sun-grown cannabis as this beautiful sunset terroir like the napa valley regions of mm. wines in the cannabis industry you know we started to think okay well what does that look like on the east coast and is it feasible mm -hmm. and we started to do some research around what does it really look like to do cannabis in massachusetts outdoors so you know getting back to the point where cannabis is extremely cost prohibitive to run a farm, a farmer isn't necessarily going to have the capital to get a license to then go grow cannabis. Like that's just, it's really, it's a high barrier for entry. So we actually partnered with a local farmer who's a 35 year organic um, grower of mescaline greens um, in Sheffield, Mass, which is, you know, not mm -hmm. far from our great Barrington store. And so we actually partnered with him because we wanted to create a sustainable model where a dispensary like us, we didn't need to go out and buy a farm and just do it all from scratch. We wanted to work with someone who actually had been cultivating an organic soil for 35 years in a very unique microclimate that lent itself very well to growing a cannabis plant. And so from that partnership working off of his soil and this terroir that he had created, um, you know, this, this is, this soil is, has, you know, is, is part of a, was carved from glaciers, you know, thousands of years ago. It has a natural aquifer that runs beneath it. There's a river across the, the road from it that cycles humidity off of it. I mean, this beautiful climate. And so then we also did the research on what kind of genetics of plants, what kind of, what types of cannabis plants would then thrive in this kind of unique climate. So then once you start to put all these pieces together, um, we launched the first, uh, we, I think we had the first approved outdoor farm in Massachusetts. I think we were the second to put plants in the ground. Um, and so for us, this was accomplishing a couple of different things. One, this was really putting mother nature back in the driver's seat of facilitating the growth of the plants that she created. Um, we decrease the amount of electricity that we need because obviously the sun does most yeah. of the work. We limit the amount of hydration and water that goes through the fields. Um, we also take um, regenerative processes like we do no-till so soil, so we're not digging up and turning the soil over every season. We let the roots decompose in the ground. We plant uh, companion plants like lemongrass and sage and lavender to attract um, natural pollinators um, mm. and also to lure predator insects away from the cannabis plants to these other more desirable plants. And so for us, this was this wonderful opportunity to start to understand how do we kind of how do we take another step in a direction where we hope others will follow us in terms of creating, you know, a future of, of different types of sustainable cannabis. And um, and it's been really kind of fascinating to watch this project because when cold snaps come and humidity comes and free, you know, 50 mile an hour windstorms come, we're all definitely thinking about those plants. 
Um, but ultimately, I think what, what it starts to do is, one, the model, I think, can be replicated by other dispensaries if they were interested in doing so. Um, and two, I think this is actually probably going to be closer to the future of cannabis that we'll see um, in the long run. And so um, that project for us was, yeah. was incredible. It is, it's insane to watch. How many, um, how um, many crop cycles have you been able to do? out there Ooh, that's a really good question so we have one major season obviously in the summer yeah, we're not right. growing so yeah but we do have we have three greenhouses out there mm-hmm. um one of which is a light deprivation greenhouse which we can run plants for a longer cycle on um where you know they could potentially go into the ground earlier than the fields do and then finish much later in the year we also have mother plants that we're running in there um, that we keep, we maintain mm-hmm. all year round. Um, and so I think, you know, almost every year we're kind of, we're, we're evolving the process of what cultivation looks like. And we're learning too. I mean, there's no question. Like New England is a, you know, she, she can be tough on you from, yeah. you know, with weather. Um, and so, you know, there's always a little bit of inherent risk in, in cultivating outdoors, but we always are, I mean, again, like we're very, we want to try to be conscious in the sense that we are thinking about, okay, how can we try to be more sustainable in this area? And we just, we're actually opening a, we have opened a brand new production facility that is, um, we've negotiated a contract where all of our electricity is going to be filled, um, is going to be uh, run off of renewable wind energy. So our mm. electricity, I mean, and again, I think these are the kind of things that we're thinking about as an operation, as, you know, as a young brand who's trying to do right in this industry. Yeah. These are the kind of actions that we're very much, our thoughtfulness, I think we try to translate into reality. And the farm is a good example of this, the renewable energy, wind energy, you know, powering our plant is another one. So, um, but the farm is a pretty incredible project that, I wish I could tell you how amazing it is on like a summer day and blue skies to just be out in a field of cannabis. I mean, it's unlike anything you could ever imagine. Well, we're open to um, podcaster site visits, of course. (laughs) Um, You know, no, but um, what what I could probably make that happen for you. (laughs) I'd love to do a field interview once we get beyond COVID. That that would be so interesting. Um, Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask about that. I mean, I mean, thinking about trying to grow outside in New England. I mean, I imagine that's where you're knowledge of genetics and plant breeding has to come into effect, right? Um, you start beginning to think about, you know, maybe we need a mountain, a more mountainous strain because we're yeah. up at a couple, almost a thousand feet or something like that. Oh yeah. We, I mean, and that's a huge part of this process. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, you're not just going to buy, you're not going to buy white widow seeds and then try to grow them outside and be like, oh, well, this is definitely going to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is where, I mean, it actually may actually think yeah. there's a, there could be a chance, but anyway, I mean, you know, one thing that the beauty of this plant is that it is, it is resilient. Mm-hmm. It is a hard worker and it provides for itself. Um, and so if you can facilitate the right environment for it to thrive, there's a very good likelihood that it will thrive. Um, Mother Nature being, you know, unpredictable and unruly at times will always leave something up to chance for you. But what we try to do is we try to create the most ideal surroundings for these plants to thrive in. And that is everything from looking at, uh, you know, the genetics and, you know, past cultivation experiences. We've talked to growers, you know, across the country about what are the best outdoor genetics that 
could potentially work in a an environment such as New England. We looked at microclimates similar to New England climates and tried to figure out where does that land in terms of genetic development with certain types of cannabis plants and you know, we even worked with some of the breeders who are out there. Um, you know, there's one breeder, I, I just, I don't think, I can't really mention his name because I don't want to put him on blast or anything, but he was actually really fundamental in chatting with us about um, some of the plants that he was actually cultivating that were really outdoor geared plants based off of land race genetics that um, were very adaptable to the New England climate. And so having his input, and then obviously we have great teams of cultivators. And, you know, I think when you talk to people who know how to grow cannabis, um, you know, they have a really good sense of this. And that's personally the genetics side of things within the industry is probably one of the other fascinating areas that I don't think people fully understand uh, to this point. But um a lot of that kind of strategic thinking and doing the research to try to create that perfect setting and that surrounding, um, you know, there's so many different variables and you try to control what you can. And we've had some, we've been really fortunate, um, really fortunate. And someone like, like I, I'm not by any means a green thumb, but you know, I run cannabis plants in my backyard every summer, just so I can personally learn more about this plant and just see the magnificence of, of what it looks like to start with a seed and all of a sudden by the end of the summer, see this 14 foot tall plant. That's beautiful. Um, and there, so we try to do the same thing. Yeah. There's, I have to say there's something special about it. I mean, I, I got into this again, we're talking decades ago. Um, and I don't know, I, I want to say like, there's almost something spiritual about uh, raising raising up this plant in into a, a medicine or something you're going to use recreationally mm-hmm. or in another aspect um and i and i'm sorry stomping jen you're looking at me skeptically but, but i think it goes back no, to this no. ancient relationship that we have as a, a as human beings with this plant it's like when you have a you know a dog in your house like it's just it's hard mm-hmm. it's hard for me to describe it it feels like there's a part of your you had a missing piece of your brain, a dog shaped piece of your brain was missing and somebody plugged it in. Once you get a dog, like that's how I feel. I just, sorry. And and so I just want to like, just finish. Like there's something about, I think working with the plant and seeing it and that that I, I, I can't describe it beyond to say that it was a spiritual experience for me. And then being able to give it to people and like, I don't know. 100%. That's how I yeah. felt. Wait, Satu, I actually, I have to agree with you on this, like in a huge way, because I think honestly, I, I, you know, again, talking about this educational process, I learn more from growing the plant because every day I get home from work, it's the first thing I want to see. I want to go to the backyard. I want to see how it's grown. I want to see the progress. Yeah. But then where it goes even further is I gave cuttings of the plant that I grew from seed to very close friends who were going to preserve that lineage of a plant that I started that is now making its way into a network of friends who are then also going to enjoy this. And there is something so spiritual to me about that where we are we're creating a community around a product that we are literally giving away to our peers. Yeah. Um, and I think there is something that is so beautiful about that process that it's not necessarily like tomatoes and it's not like growing lettuce and arugula 
certainly there's some elements of that, but there's something deeply personal that I find about the cannabis plant that it kind of almost goes back to this counterculture need where once you discover someone else who shares that passion, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a bridge made that is, that is a connection. And I think, um, I get the same way with the cannabis plants and, you know, sharing, sharing those buds with my friends and family. And honestly, like cutting down my plants when it was time for harvest was one of like the most, one of the biggest bummers of like my year. And I was like, wait a minute, this ends. I got (laughs) to cut this thing down. I got to hang it. And then I got to trim it. Like, oh man. But I do think you, I think you're onto something where I understand. I think I, I think I get where you're coming from with this too. I I think I feel that puzzle piece. What do you think, Stomping Chan? What were you going to say? No, I just had so many thoughts. Like when you're talking about farming (laughs) yeah. and, you know, I think about like all of the people who would grow it illegally and, um, you know, over the years and they had specialties. And then I think about, you know, buying it in college or whatnot. And like, Mm -hmm. you just get stuff. You don't know what it is. They just give it to you in a bag. (laughs) Like, you're like, okay, thank you. Um, Those are some of the, the thoughts that I had. Then I then I remembered this time in college where some people that I was hanging out with, they found like somebody's grow operation and they like totally stole the plants. And like yeah. I went to some house in the middle oh. of the night. I know. Well, I mean, looking back, I yeah. didn't know. I just went with my friends to this people's house and yeah. this thing was just happening. I don't yeah. know. But no, like, not, you know, no, like that what, wasn't directed at you. Yeah. No, but I'm just saying it's just, you know, like you think about these weird experiences that you you have mm-hmm. in life that you'll never I mean, that will never ever happen again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that and, and and that's one of the beauties of a of a um of something like theory wellness, right. right? Is you you can walk in there and know exactly what you're getting. There's no, right. you don't have to worry about yeah. you know what's in the bag. You know, no yeah. idea what's in the bag. I mean, and that, yeah. that that's one of the. What is it going to do to me? I don't know. Right, and and, <laughs> and it's interesting. Like now, you know, having gone through my own educational process around the plant and all of that stuff, like. I know now know why. Oh, my mind was racing that time. Mm-hmm. It's because it was a probably a sativa dominant or entirely sativa yeah. strain, right? Like, right. And, <laughs> like not you know, and, and this goes back to my point before about education, right? Like, yeah, if I feel like if I had had a little more education at the time, I, I would have been more <laughs> more prepared to understand my own experiences, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and I have to say, I, I want to make kind of a fun point, um, Thomas, like one of, one of the things I absolutely love about this industry is the creativity around the names of different, oh, yeah. of different strains. Like I'm, oh I, I was looking on the theory wellness website and I looked at some of the, the ones that I really <laughs> loved, like lemon, banana, yeah. sherbet, popcorn. <laughs> that's awesome. Cookies and cream, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. grape glue, watermelon, gelato. Um, can you shed any light on how these names are selected? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> no, I'm just checking. Yeah. So actually this is, this is when I was, when I was saying that, you know, the, the whole lineage side of the industry and, and kind of the genetic side of something that I've become very fascinated with is, is actually specifically around the naming conventions. So, you know, basically what the, each of those names for the most part is a representation of the creation of a new type of cannabis plant. So every time a breeder takes one plant, puts it with another, breeds them, 
creates a new type of plant, you've got a new name. So, you know, everything from White Widow to, you know, Super Lemon Haze, I mean, all of the names that you were just mentioning, you know, you'll actually see in a lot of our descriptions with those, with those strains. Um, I actually do a lot of the writing of the descriptions, right? Or I did until very recently where I would actually go do the research and say, okay, what is grape ape? What are the two parent genetics? You know, is it this and this? And then you start to learn the nuance of what that combination starts to look like. So there are some strains that are literally just like my tie crossed with I-95 and that is what it is. Um, some of them get pretty absur absurd names just because the breeders choose what they want to call them. Um, but ironically, what those strain names are actually represent representing is this cross-pollination in the breeding of different genetics of cannabis plants to then create more interesting plants. Um, and so, you know, one of the one of the things that we've actually been talking a lot about, or not a lot, but it's been a discussion, is about preserving kind of the heirloom land race genetics. So a lot of the strains that have, you know, geographical terms laden in with their names. So, you know, Panama Red, Acapulco Gold, I mean, some of these older strains, those were strains that were literally found in Acapulco that were golden and they grew them and they said, oh, we're going to call this Acapulco Gold. Right, great. But then you also have, you know, you could bring an Acapulco gold back into the States and somebody could say, ooh, you know, I've got this Northern Lights. Let's cross the Acapulco gold with the Northern Lights and then mm. see what happens. And the breeders are the ones who are controlling this kind of genetic puzzle and building on it. And so a lot of the times what you're going to find is there are different, there are certain strains that have more prolific kind of lineages than others um white widow is definitely you know one of the what i would consider is like one of the most old school you know strains i think it was like a i think it was like a brazilian land race that was crossed with like a south indian indica and it's yeah. just like whoever decided whoever got those seeds and you know ran a male against a female that created white widow created something that was so wonderful that people unanimously said, Ooh, this is a great flower strain. And so, you know, those names, white widow, I don't know how that really came about to yeah. be white widow, but you know, ostensibly it was because of some, there's probably some story behind it. Um, some of those names you can kind of tell instantly what is, what are the genetics of that plant and where did it come from? Other ones you're like, wait a minute, what is this thing that they're talking about? Like, I have no idea why the strain is called like roadkill skunk other than <laughs> probably has some skunk heritage, probably smells really, it's probably got like a really dense terpene profile that is like super, super potent that you can smell, you know, through the jar. Um, yeah. And so actually the diversity of some of the flower that we see is actually has been really interesting. Um, and then you have kind of this, what I think probably most consumers who are buying the legal markets know about cookies. Um, you know, the Girl Scout cookie, Thin Mint cookies, you know, there is a brand by Burner called Cookies. You know, Cookies is an entire billion dollar company based off of one type of one strain of cannabis. Wow. Um, and so, you know, when one person starts running cookies against their, if you're a breeder and you get a cut of cookies and you start running it against your favorite plant, 
you just start to create a very large tree that starts to move all the way through the industry. Um, and so I find this stuff really, really interesting, but I also think it comes at a trade-off too, where if you start to overbreed these plants where you are breeding out high T where you're breeding in high THC and removing equal amounts of CBD, you know, I think there's a little bit of a trade-off mm -hmm. in that process. Um, I always joke with my dad, um, about dad weed. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my dad's weed is like, you know, my dad likes a joint where he could smoke a whole joint and not feel like he needs to go to the loony bin. Like right. he wants to have something that's well balanced and like, you know, not going to throw him off too far. And, um, a lot of the reason why he had, you know, he has that experience with cannabis is because back in the day when you had these land races, they were CBD and they were THC in fairly equal amounts. And so one never really overtook the other. And you got that kind of cool stoniness that wasn't, that was more of, you know, Spicoli from fast times more so than it is like heavy sedation of the modern era that we have at times today with cannabis. And so, you know, a lot of that comes back to this genealogy of cannabis plants that is so fascinating. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it's important to talk to your, you know, right, theory wellness exactly. sales rep or right. representative, you know, cause it's to, not like getting a baggie in college. Right. About what you're looking <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah, about what you're looking at. Yeah. And talk, talk to somebody about what you're looking for. Like if you're looking to have a pseudo psychedelic experience, you know, maybe you want a mm -hmm. close to 30% thc strain you know but maybe you don't and so that that's the importance of having conversation and dialogue right. and the and why it's important we have Educated an organization people. like theory wellness there we could talk to them yeah. about this stuff um so um thomas where where do you see where do you see theory wellness going where do you see the industry going over the years can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah, I think it's a, I mean, I think that's a question I wish I knew the answer to. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's hard to say because I think this industry changes so quickly and so fast. And um, what I would hope, you know, for, for theory wellness is um, I hope we can continue, you know, at the end of the day, we think cannabis access for all is incredibly important. Um, we are lucky enough to be in a place of position where we can we can scale. Where you know we're we're at a place where we're generating revenue. That revenue gets reinvested into our employees, our processes, and then our growth. And so it's not like we have fat cats who sit at the top who just you know munch on their cigars and say, "Ah, oh, we're going <laughs> to take this thing to the moon." Right. We're actually trying to consciously scale our operation to help be a leader in this industry. So I hope over time, you know, we stay on this path of developing really good products, really fortifying kind of who we are as a company. When you look at our life cycle five years old as a brand is not long compared mm -hmm. to most brands that have been around for 25 years. We're kind of in our infancy of who we're becoming. And so I hope we can navigate the future ahead of us of expansion in a very conscious way that puts our employees, our patients and our consumers, you know, at the top of our mind. I think with the industry as a whole, I really do hope with some of the states that are considering legalization or medical provisions or decriminalization, I think if they are starting to consider 
a full recreational rollout. I think equity provisions have probably have no have more importance today than they they have ever in the cannabis industry. Yeah, I think you have one shot for legalization, and you got to get it right. Then I can only hope that you know people start to pay attention, start to get involved. And to really start to challenge the logic behind what legalization stands for and what it means today, and so, you know, I hope the best for I hope the best for the industry. I really do. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm bullish about where it's going, um, but I'm also not without reservations and on ensuring that, you know, with this kind of growth and power and trajectory and something so unprecedented, I hope people pay attention to try to get it right. And I hope that we take the time to get it right. And even the MORE Act, I think the MORE Act is a brilliant piece of legislation. Yeah. We're not ready for it yet. Yeah. But I hope by the time that we are ready, you know, I hope we approach it in a way that is thoughtful, equitable, and promotes a free market the way that cannabis was intended. Where, where people buying cannabis get that expression of feeling like they're sharing something very important with others. Because as soon as we lose that, the industry definitely becomes something that I don't know that it was intended to be. Yeah. And I just, I want, and thank you. That was a great answer. Um, and I want people to appreciate too, that like what we're seeing here is a cultural revolution, yeah. right? This, this is the people mm-hmm. across our nation saying Very enough much. is enough. Yeah, This plant has been treated unfairly. We've been treated unfairly. We're demanding something different. And I, I think it's important to pause and appreciate that. I really do. Um, Oh, stomping Jen is snapping. Thank you. And Thomas too. Thank you. So, all right. Um, two fun questions for you. Um, unrelated, unrelated to cannabis, although they could be, I guess. Um, help us get, help help us as we're wrapping up, help us to get, get, get to know you a little bit better. Um, what do you like to do for, what do you like to do for fun when you're not, um, working uh, at theory wellness? Oh boy. I mean, I work a lot. So, uh, you know, work is fun. Um, yep. but truthfully, I, I actually, I reserve my cannabis usage to the weekends. So I actually like to compliment one of my favorite things to do is exercise, um, and take, you know, use cannabis while exercising. Um, there is, there's no better balance in my mind of using physical exercise to complement a really good sativa that then has a good hybrid afterwards when you're recovering and then an indica to put you to sleep. I love exercise, um, but I also listen to lots of audio books um, okay. throughout the weekend. So, you know, between cannabis exercise and audio books, that's probably where you would find me um, either in the backyard, out trail running, cross-country skiing, okay. pretty much anything, or sitting at my desk too, working. But I need to is also more fun. And I need to point out to people that Thomas is not trying to deceive us. He has been drinking out of the largest water bottle I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. Um, now people are going to know it's definitely me. This is the most <laughs> I know. This is like ridiculous. That's probably half a gallon. It's huge. Yeah. It's 64 ounces of just pure yep, ice You called water. it. Yep. anyway so he's not deceiving us okay all right last last question and you're you're free to interpret this any way you want um it's not a trick question by any means um what have you seen that you cannot explain oh wow boy it could be anything yeah 
I have definitely, so I lived in Wyoming for two years um, in big sky country, spending time camping, you know, with no light pollution. I have seen things in the sky that I find very hard to justify or believe. So I'll leave it at that. I am a big proponent um, of UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. I've been following this subject closely for years and um, through my through our podcast, we've identified several potential candidates for a UAP episode. So we're going to really? put you on the list. Oh, um, you're going to do a full-on episode about this? Absolutely. Can I get Stop a pass? Jen. No, you have to sit through <laughs> it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, thank thank you for answering that question. I really appreciate it. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I am I am with you. I think there are things out there. So we can talk more about it oh on the UAP goodness. episode. All right. Oh my goodness. Thomas You're on the short list. You're on the short list now. Thomas Winstanley <laughs> from Theory Wellness. First of all, thank you. Yes. Um thank you. I we are at an hour and forty minutes. I could have gone another hour and a half with you. So I, but I have to respect <laughs> your time. It's a it it's late in the evening. So it's all good. Um, thank, thank you for talking to us yes. about what I see as incredibly important work, um, both for Massachusetts, um, Maine, our New England cousin, um, and also society writ large. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I really think what companies like Theory Wellness are doing um, are super important. Yep. Um, so. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. I hope people have learned a lot. Yep. Um, I enjoyed the conversation. Yep. Uh, stomping Jen. What? Yes. As Hi. always, thank What's you. Up? Hi. Thank you. 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 What did I do? You interjected and made oh, insightful you. comments and asked important questions. That is my job. So I appreciate thank having you. you here. I appreciate to, you. To our listeners. Wait, you're just glossing over that. Go ahead, please. You don't want me to read. I do. Read. <laughs> Poor Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop torturing him. Um, all right. All right. Uh, to our listeners, um, we love you. Thank you for um, continuing to be fans and listening and supporting us. And we subscribe. Have, we have some great stuff in the works. Yeah, um, we do. After two years, I have finally purchased our web domain. Um, <laughs> oh, we're going to do that project. Yeah, we have t-shirts, we have swags, we yeah, have things we in have the things. works. So we just, we're... Keep tuned for the new year. But we're trying to focus on excellent content, like with our friend from Theory Wellness here. We are. Okay. Um, so last thing, please support Theory Wellness if yes. you are a medical cannabis user or a recreational cannabis user. Go check yes. them out, okay? Yes. Um, and they will take care of you. Yes. Okay. Without the further ado, Stomping Jen, what do we say? We love you. Love Wear a you. mask. Be Wear safe. Wear a mask. Be safe. Get vaccinated. Yep. Bye now. Bye now.